Black Talks Radio Network. Stay tuned. Opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. And good evening, everyone. Scotty Reed here with a broadcast of Black Talk Radio News on this date. This date is May 11, 2020. Um, just want to say hello to those who are catching us on the YouTube channel, Black Talk Radio Network. Of course, shout out to those on our platform home, which is Black Talk Radio network.com I got brother Kwabana Rasuli as advertised on with me Kwabana we we getting uh, just a little feedback off, off your line I don't know if you're able to adjust your mic or or what have you but it's like I'm catching just a little bit of feedback but uh, yeah so we're already streaming on the uh, digital radio station Black Talk Radio Network follow us on TuneIn if you're on TuneIn we're just about everywhere brother Kwabana um, and so it's good to be back on these airwaves again and as we expand into the video format uh, what are we going to be talking about tonight on Black Talk Radio News well most we're going to be covering uh, these recent shootings. Of course, most people have heard of the shooting in Georgia. Then a lot of people haven't seen the video uh, for the shooting of the black male in Maryland. Um, and then, of course, Brother Kwabana, you had alerted me uh, to the shooting that happened in Indi Indiana. What, what city was that? Indianapolis? Indianapolis, yeah. We call it Nap, Nap Town. Nap Town. All right. So, um, yeah. So, and, and then this, when you really think about it, Brother Kwabna, that's just three probably out of tens or, tw or, or 20 people who got shot uh, thus far this month. Because, you know, every year U.S. police average about a little over a thousand people. Um, if you want to break it down by race, as a racist nation does, um, black people, probably three or four hundred will be shot. They will be disproportionately represented um, as as uh, opposed to their 13 percent of the general population. They'll end up being something like 33, 40 percent, you know, of the of victims of police violence. So, um these are some of the stories that makes the mainstream uh, media and also goes viral on social media. So, um, you know, you're real close to that situation. I just want to let everybody know we're not really. Let me pull up this brother's um, this brother's photo. So um, and we're talking about Drajan Reed. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Drajan. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. So Drajan Reed is the 21-year-old uh, uh, young black male uh, who was seen videotaping himself riding in the car doing a police uh, chase. And at the end of this video, 
he ends up being shot. That's all captured. Uh, if not on video, you get the audio uh, capture of that shooting uh, by police. And then later you get some unprofessional comments from what sounds like a black cop um, about a closed casket. And But we're going to take a deeper dive into that later this week. We're going to bring you back because there are so many layers to this shooting and, and how it intersects with the work that you do and this manufactured, and I'm going to say it again, manufactured black culture um, that white radio stations blast all over the radio or Europeans are certainly in control of these record uh, companies. Even though you have a black black figurehead here or a CEO there, the stuff that's being put over the public airways, as you talk about uh, with your organization, Clear the Airways Project, is promoting a whole lot of ear violence, you know? But we don't take a deeper dive into that later this week, so... Um, make sure that y'all keep it keep uh, keep it locked on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com or any of our social media um, pages so that y'all know when me and Brother Quabana are going to take take a cultural dive um, into the video because I, it's several copies. You know, Brother Quabana, I got a copy as I was telling you about earlier today, where Drejan, well, someone else, well, he was streaming live on Facebook. Then, you know, we have software. I had a software where you can capture somebody else's screen, right? So somebody was capturing his screen and then uh, streaming it through their Facebook page or making a copy. But it looks like they were streaming because they they uh, uh, were making uh, comments and stuff, right? And the emojis. I saw a whole lot of laughing emojis on Facebook while all of this was uh, unfolded even after it was apparent that he had been gunned down. So we don't take a deeper uh, dive into that. But today with you, Quabna, and of course you're going to be hanging out throughout the show. Uh, but on this particular story, we're going to look at it from the police accountability and transparency, um, regardless of what um, Mr. Reed did himself. And, you know, some of his other stuff that he had posted to social media as so many young people, you know, they put their entire life on so social media. Um, but what what are your initial thoughts, you know, uh, before, you know, I start um, channeling us into a particular direction? But what are your initial thoughts when you heard about this shooting? How did you find out social media? I assume. Yes, yeah, social media. And my initial thoughts were, uh, you know, here we go again. Um, my initial thoughts were also, okay, good. He was able to um, start capturing it on Facebook Live. I think the last, my, one of my last encounters with the police, I also turned my phone on, you know, just to, to make sure things were, uh, you know, were going to be okay. And then just to watch it, you know, the part that I did see at that time, I was like, oh, wow, here we go again. So he does get out, run, runs with his cell phones. And then uh, I hear him gets, gets tased and right after that gets shot up. And I'm thinking initially that, wow, okay, they're going to say that they thought his cell phone was a weapon and they shot him and killed him. And now they're saying, of course, yeah, that he did have a weapon. That's what they're saying. Uh, and like, you know, I guess we, we'll talk about this, like you said, a little further next week. I mean, later on this week. But it does show him in, on his social media page a lot of times profiling and, and, uh, and showing him handling his weapon. But, you know, again, I don't, all I saw and heard was one weapon. So my initial 
uh, thought was outraged, and to see this another young black man uh, shot and killed by the police, uh, which is typical of what happened so in so many cases uh, by the by the slave catchers. You know, they didn't allow, they didn't allow him a chance to get into their <laughs> into their dungeons, mm-hmm. their slave headquarters. They just took him out and took him out right there. Another black man gone. That was my initial thoughts when I saw it. When I saw the video, um, and like I stated, we'll we'll get more into it um, later this week, perhaps Thursday or Friday. But they didn't get a taser time to work. So you know, we often have talked about let's use less lethal force. Okay, now there was no, there is no body cam, and we'll talk about that in, in just a sec. There is no body cam from any of the officers. Um, there is no dash cam video. The only video that we have is that of Jajron um, Reed himself. So um, if he hadn't been streaming live, we wouldn't have any kind of video or audio record um, of this uh, police shooting of this young man. Um, so my my initial thoughts uh, were they sure didn't give that taser enough time to work because as soon as I heard the taser, you know how you the cackling, how they sound of electricity, they shooting electricity. Mm-hmm. But it's like as soon as they shot him, I heard that cackle. It wasn't another cackle before I heard pow, 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 pow. And you said you counted the shots. At, yeah, at least 14 shots, and it was right right away, right after you heard, I think he said those, you know, he curses, uh, sounds like he curses as soon as he hits, he's hit with a taser, and then here come the shots, so, um, yeah, it was kind of heart-wrenching to, to, to listen to it, you know, I guess you can watch from the camera being facing up into the air as this was going on, but you sure do hear it, and then you hear his, uh, his laments, and his, uh, cursing and everything, and once he realized, I guess, that he's shot, and he's about to, uh, go to the next realm or whatever so it was pretty tough to listen to and, and the video goes on and on for quite a while before the police comes in and I guess one of them does say that uh, it's going to be a closed cas- casket or something else that you know a lot of people are finding insensitive and all the while you know I don't know again we're going to get on this later on this week but all the while the soundtrack that's playing is the music that he had on his uh, portable listening device which is pretty much saying hey this is what's going on this is part of my life and it's part of also the ending of my life. Right. And, and, and I want to say also that even though whatever he's listening to, it does not give the police the right to come in and just start blasting away and shooting at, at, at our people. And the police have been known to lie, so it's hard to trust what's going on here. It's hard to trust them and what they say because of their track record. Right, right. Now... These are questions that were asked during the presidential primary. You know, Bernie Sanders had went to, I think it was a HBCU. Uh, it was, he wasn't the only one. It was a number of them. Kamala Harris was asked questions, and I believe this occurred in South Carolina. And he, and he, and he was asked by a black male, well, what would you tell your son in how to interact with police and he said that I would tell my son if I had a black son first he not he can't have he doesn't have a black son of course he has a white one but uh he said I would tell my son to cooperate uh to survive and I'm paraphrasing to survive the encounter so that you don't get shot in the back of the head and I felt like there was a lot of fox or or fake outrage directed towards uh, Senator Sanders for that answer, but then you had a whole bunch of other black folks say, wait a minute, 
This is you. You pull up these videos of black people having these conversations with the, with their children and organizations creating media that's speaking to that issue. That's the conversation that they having. You know, that's the conversation that Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp is having. Uh, how to survive these police counters encounters while you know uh, 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 standing up for your rights. You know, asking certain questions and what have you, but um, I tell I, I tell you, man, um, <laughs> um, it's so many layers to this story, man. But it is a cautionary tale, and this is not how I would, if I had a son, but I do have grandsons. This is not how I'm going to tell them to interact with the police. But here, here's another angle, Kwabena, from the abolitionist side. Um, you know, because I host and created New Abolitionist Radio, where we focus on the fact that slavery has never been abolished. And what we have now is prison slavery via the 13th Amendment, that once they convict you of a crime, that they can then, send, you know, that's the loophole of the 13th Amendment. Uh, Kanye West tried to bring it up with Trump in an inarticulate manner, and a lot of people clowned him, but he was actually right on that point that 13th Amendment has a trap door right into prison um, um, slavery. And so this this young man, Mr. Reed, had apparently got a taste of prison slavery before because he kept saying, I can't go back. I can't go back. Now, what if we if what we did not have was prison slavery and instead had rehabilitation? Okay, where people can go to be made whole and their issues dealt with, whatever issues they may have, um, whether it's dealing with poverty, whether it's a result of, um, you know, mental problems because of environmental poisoning. And, you know, there are just so, so many uh, ills that capitalism produces for poor people uh, in this country. Um, but he was so he I mean he had his mind made up, Kwabner. I'm not going back to jail. I can't go to jail. So that the experience he must have had in jail before must have been pretty horrific for him to risk his life not to go back. You know? And and I'm sure yeah. I'm sure some cynics out there say, Well, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Well that that's what a lot of capitalists and white supremacists and slavers um, um, say, but we know that wealth inequality produces crime. That's not to excuse any individual behavior, but these are individual circumstances. There's a, a million stories to tell. You know what I'm saying? And, and we just I, now starting to know the story of young uh, uh, Jejron. Uh, I'm probably butchering his name. What What is it? Jejron uh, uh, Reed, but his story is over yeah, You know, Scotty, it's like uh, we were talking about the National Black Leadership Alliance, these viruses, this winter midst of this virus right now. There's a biological virus, pandemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, and there's also a social virus that we've been dealing with and going through. And the social virus has made us more vulnerable to this biological virus. And like you mentioned, with the uh, disproportionate numbers of us locked up in these prisons and dealing with these police, disproportionate of us, a number of us who are affected adversely by this current virus. You know, we, when it comes to a lot of these things, man, we're, we're like at the bottom, right? The high numbers are the negative, uh, the negative numbers of so many of these social ills that are going on in this community. And, you know, you let me think also of Philando Castile uh, in Minnesota. 
somebody who was cooperating with the police. Right. Was trying to show, yeah, I have a, you know, they didn't care about that, you know. Yeah, Shot his conceal and carry permit. He had a conceal and carry permit. Right. So it's just tough, man, because, again, the police have a history of how they handle us, and, and we're, we don't feel comfortable around them. Um, but we also, like you said, have to be smart. You know, don't don't be fearful of them. Respect the fact that they do have uh, this particular power right now, but also be careful and be smart when dealing with them. Yeah, you, ha- you have, have to have was- you have to have codified behavior behind the enemy lines. You know, yes. uh, of any if you in a war zone, you know there's enemy lines. And right now, we're in, living in a nation that practiced slavery and being a person of African descent. I consider myself to be behind enemy lines. And at any time, these slave catchers, a.k.a. law enforcement officers, can are empowered to charge me with whatever crimes, things whatever. that, you know, are arguably shouldn't even be crimes, but are enabled to take my freedom, you know, and put me behind bars in horrid conditions and then uh, lease my body out to corporations or, or, or whoever else is going to profit, whether it's a state government, you know, the county government, the federal government, and it's just slavery, 13th Amendment, prison slavery style. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and it's tough when, you know, I know we're going to deal with the case in Georgia also, but when you just look at, you know, what's happening uh, in terms of mass media and you see groups like Rock Nation now, they want to uh, put some legal work or all appalled about what happened in Georgia, you know, with uh, with Brother Aubrey and, and his uh, and his killing. But then at the same time, you're putting out content and you're pushing in media for us to do the killing, for us to do right. things that are going to lead us in these prisons. It's like, man, right. it's tough. So I, I'm I'm gonna leave it there now. If you are, if you have a question or comment, whether you're listening to the to us on the radio stream or on the video stream, uh, we will be opening up the lines the last 15 minutes of the broadcast. But you can give us a call 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. You can also make it a voice over IP call via your computer or your phone using the web um, by uh, going to uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network is our Uber Conference uh, room. And uh, you can also participate in the conversation. But the phone lines are not open right now. You'll see on the video stream um, the number flashing across when the lines are open. And, of course, I'll make a verbal announcement of that. Now, um changing gears in the you you sent me an article and you alerted me to this brother Kwabana. uh in the, this what do y'all call it the napa indianapolis is the largest city in the nation without police body cameras a whole lot of people marched after a whole lot of people got killed by police for a large city which probably has a fairly large African American and non-white uh, population. How how are they getting away with not even re- having the minimum of even a dash cam video? What what's going on there, uh, Kwabana? I, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, brother Scotty. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, Black Lives Matter has a presence in Indianapolis, uh, as you can see from the protests that are occurring right now because of Brother Reed's uh, killing. 
that there's a presence out there where you know people are, are demanding police accountability and into this police terror and it's it perplexes me that they don't have it already i just i'm not i'm not sure i mean i know we live it's a conservative very conservative state as many people know indiana but i think it's ridiculous because if if so you know again because it puts in some cases it puts a little check on them <laughs> you know it, it makes them not you know do things that they normally would do even though in a lot of cases we've also seen that they don't care that they got the cameras or not you know they or they forget they up. simply forget that they're on and, and well, sometimes they turn them off <laughs> yeah sometimes they turn them off so um let let me uh, share a couple of excerpts from an IndyStar.com article titled Indianapolis is the largest city in the nation without police body camera. So uh, it says on the night uh, police officers shot and killed two men, not a single officer in the department's 1,000, well, 1,700 person force was wearing a body camera. That's a... That's a whole lot of slave catchers right there, boy. A force of seventeen hundred. How many? Seventeen hundred, man. That's that's like that's almost a battalion, dog. <laughs> that's almost a they about three. They about a couple of hundred, a few hundred short, and they have an army battalion. So uh, none of them have cameras. It's a stark reminder that that the city lags many other cities in implementing body-worn cameras despite long-standing demands from community leaders and civil rights activists. In fact, an Indie Star analysis has found uh, Indianapolis, Napa as y'all call it, is the largest city in the nation without a body camera program. Of the top 20 most populated U.S. cities, only Indy does not outfit at least some of its officers with body cameras. Indy Star found. Now, smaller neighboring cities have also introduced body cameras. So, you know, the, these are other towns and cities that's in Indiana, um, but um, including Carmel, Fishers, Greenwood, and Lawrence is a fact that leaves some that leaves some incredulous. So what's going on there, man? Uh, sounds you know, like to me they got a pretty strong police union there to prevent. And same thing in Gary. I live in Gary, and I know we had Rashad Cunningham was, was shot by the police, and everybody was asking, where's the camera? Uh, they don't have them. And so this city is probably the second largest city in Indianapolis with the uh, percentage of African people. Uh, numbers of African people in it, and Gary, Indiana doesn't have it either. And the citizens here, are pretty, it's like cities like 85, 90% black. So, it's, yeah, it's something that, that definitely needs to be addressed. I didn't realize Indianapolis did not have it either until after this, this came out. Right. And in, this, and in this case, man, you know, being an objective journalist and viewing that video, but we'll get more deeper into it Um coming up at the towards the end of this week into this uh Jean Reed video is it probably will help clear clear officers. You know what I'm saying? And I bet you that cop that cop would have thought um uh, may have thought um you know first about having a body camera before he made the comment about him needing a closed casket. 
Um, so, you know, sometimes he can prevent behavior. Some police, the police, the cameras themselves can police the police. But sometimes, you know, some of them are all about that thug life and they don't care, man. Or they sometimes just, they don't care. Yeah. They just simply, uh, simply forget. So, um, again, uh, any closing thoughts out on, on this story, man? And I know, again, we'll be talking about it later, getting more deeper into the cultural uh, issues of, of these videos later this week. But any closing thoughts on the transparency? Because, I mean, you're not that far from there. No, no. A lot of people from, from where I am have migrated down there to Indianapolis. And so I know a lot of people that live there, a lot of activists there. It's just... Um, still things are still opening things are still moving more information is still coming out about this case and you know I, I think I know later on this week when we deal with the soundtrack of this uh, of this heinous non-fictional video I mean we'll, there'll probably be more information out at that time but I do encourage the people if you can stomach it to check out that video it is a really really a an interesting um, unfortunate telling video so if you can please check it out um, about Sean, Sean his name uh, on his Facebook is just simply S H E A N Reed, Sean Reed, and you can see the video. Right, right. So let let me take a short station identification break because I need to transition. Uh, again, this is our first simulcast of video in um, radio, digital radio at the same time. I have new equipment dealing with new software. And I just need to get accustomed to it. So I need to uh, get us set up so that we can transition uh, to the next story that we're going to share with you, um, which is going to be about uh, um, Brother Ar uh, what What's his first name? Brother Arbery um, down there in Georgia. Ahmed. Ahmed. Ahmed Arbery. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to transition to that story. So you're listening to... Um, Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed, and of course today, Kwabena Rasuli, and you can uh, find a lot more content uh, that caters to a black perspective on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back. having some issues with our YouTube stream and not being able to just uh, see a clear link to where I can uh, get to. Okay, I see it now. I'm trying to get to our studio chat room so that I can take, you know, any questions or comments uh, from the chat if um, there are any there on our YouTube stream. So so y'all just bear bear with me here. Okay, so, yeah, let me go to btrcommunity.com. By the way, btrcommunity.com is a social media platform. It's a private social media platform, and it was set up by the Black Talk Media Project, one of our projects just trying to provide people an alternative to what's out there now. We hear so many uh, complaints, and it's totally private, and it's just $24 a year, and it helps 
fund the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. So we can then go on and create uh, new projects. But we're going to transition now um, as um, I have pulled up the story about these two killers. Um, you know, the son definitely looks like a stereotypical redneck, a pig man in Georgia. Um, for I live in the South, and I mean, he just looks stereotypical when you watch these movies and the type of people that they cast uh, for these parts. He he probably of Irish descent with that red hair. And um, his father, he probably got it from his his mother because his father uh, seems to not have the red hair that he does. But, I mean, that that's the first thing that comes to my mind, man, is um, the Pigford files or, or whatever. Um, so let me just make sure I got these two men uh, named correct, these two killers who, who have now been arrested. But it's Travis McMichael. And Greg McMichael, who's 64 years old, he's the former law enforcement official. Uh, Travis is his 34-year-old son. Travis is the one that uh, looks like a stereotypical redneck, um, you know, not too bright, uh, just looks pretty dumb and stupid. And and pro it looks like he does hate, hate black people. So, you know, I, I know you just can't judge a book by its cover, but, hey, we have actions to go along with that cover with them uh, running down, uh, chasing down, and, and running down Ahmaud Arbery in the video. Um, and the person who shot the, shot the video is also under uh, investigation as as well um so i'm going to play a video for those that have not seen this story um just to catch you up but they have been arrested but it took like two months it took two months and it took it going national media which also you know in order sometimes to push things national it's got to be the people on social media and then the national media see something that's been shared a uh, thousand times, ten thousand times, a hundred thousand times, then a producer somewhere working for one of these corporate outlets will pick it up. And then it'll be broadcast on television to the millions of people. And then, you know, um, I asked the question in BTR community, why it takes so long? Why it takes so long? Along with, we always ask that question. <laughs> whenever they take so long to make an arrest when you have clear-cut evidence, especially uh, a video. Um, but as we get deeper into the story, I'll, I'll do that on the flip side of this video that I'm, I'm going to uh, run. But they have been arrested. So we'll kick it off with a local video about the arrest of these two killers. A father and son at the center of a high-profile killing in Georgia have been busted after national outrage. Police have arrested 64-year-old Gregory McMichael and his son, 34-year-old Travis McMichael. They are charged with murder and aggravated assault in the killing of 25-year-old Ahmaud Arbery. This is video from the murder when investigators say the two men drove up on Arbery and attacked him. They claimed that they thought he was a burglary suspect. Arbery's family says he was out for his regular jog. Is he playing yet, President Brother Trump Scott? addressed the killing yesterday, sending his condolences oh, to Arbery's family. Oh, actually, actually it is. So Let I'm getting a full report on this. 
let me pause that. Okay, so that's something I'm going to have to work out in, in the future. So, uh, <laughs> yes, it, it's planned, but if you could just hold on, uh, Brother Paul. I mean, excuse me, Brother Kwabana. This evening, uh, my heart goes out to the uh, parents and to the loved ones of the young gentleman. It's a very sad thing, but uh, I will be given a full report this evening. So what you didn't, what you weren't able to hear, uh, which I will remedy that um, after we go off the air, uh, Brother Kwabana was Donald Trump. They just gave a basic report of the arrest after so many days. It was a very short uh, video clip that we shared. Um, and then Donald Trump saying that he sends his condolences to the family um, and then saying that he'll get a full report uh, this evening. Um, and I saw, I know it, Donald Trump, just the visual of Donald Trump makes a lot of people mad, uh, especially a lot of black people, because some people would say, and I would say that there is evidence that he contributes to the sort of climate to where people think that they can just hunt down other human beings because of the color of their skin or their station in life and and just get away with it. I think he does. You know, we saw that his campaign rallies where he was uh, encouraging uh, people at his rally, his supporters, to punch people and to beat people up and, and get them out of there. And, and a, a few people were assaulted. Yeah, we saw it in the response to what happened in Virginia. You know, at the University of the uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, in response to right. that. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, what, like I mentioned, they, the person who shot the video, now this is what I read. I read that, I think it's Lee Merritt out of Texas is representing the family, the Arbery uh, family. And, and, but I do know an attorney is the one who obtained the video from the person who was on scene and shot the video. And so um, now there's another article that has come out that says that that person is now under investigation um, as like maybe they were chasing him too uh, and then decided to just pull out the phone and, you know, they make what I call snuff films, man. And, you know, we see these videos circulated on, on social media, sometimes on Facebook. I try not to even watch a lot of stuff like that, man, where it's just straight up what you might find on a dark web. Just people being snuffed out. So maybe he thought he was going to make a snuff film or whatever. But uh, I, I guess I don't know how things unfolded. And, he, and this person was identified as a witness with the video. And, and now he's being investigated and possibly may, may be charged. But that's just developing. And that's all I have right now. Um, um, so yeah, I heard that I heard that he, he released the video or whatever because he thought it would exonerate them. So another, I guess form of ignorance there. I'm glad he released the video because, again, we never would have known, but that's why I believe they said he shot and then released the video because he thought it was exonerate them from any wrongdoing, which I don't understand how he thought that. But it's fortunate for us that he did. And, you know, even with the... I don't know if you talked about... No, you didn't talk about it yet. The district attorneys who uh, one refused to... Uh, when the police even talked about arresting these two, they had enough... They thought they had enough to arrest those McMichael and his son. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, district attorney told him not to. She had a relationship with him, knew him, former policeman, father. Right. And former then there was another district attorney who did the same thing. So now there's a new one. There's a sister 
from the other side of the state, they're saying that's now going to be the uh, that's, that's now the district, the DA in this case. She's a Republican, but um, yes. So also, though, the federal, their federal FBI is also investigating because uh, this does involve civil rights violations. Um, um, there is no hate crime enhancement laws there in the state of Georgia. I think it's uh, Georgia, Wyoming, and two other states that don't have uh, hate crime laws on the book, which is really just an enhancement on a murder charge. Um, um, but the federal they could can charge them with civil rights violations is is what i mean to say so you know there are federal eyes on on this now uh, although bill barr uh doesn't inspire any confidence um whatsoever in the department of justice um as well as donald trump because the administration has also you know shut down or terminated um, what are the, what do they call those consent de decrees where these yeah consent decrees where these police departments that have been cited and documented for um you know murders and brutality against citizens go on like this probationary period and I think they call it like a consent uh decree but Donald Trump's administration you know kind of terminated some of those so I don't oh, have wow. have a lot of faith um or expectation from the Department of Justice under Bill Barr or the last administration for for that matter. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was, I was thinking when you said that because, we, I mean, was there a slowdown in police brutality, police killings while Obama was in office? I don't recall no, any slowdown. I don't know the exact numbers. No, and I don't know if there was an increase in federal prosecution of, you know, these type of cases, but... Um, this is where this is where we are. So the facts, okay. Um, Ahmaud Arbery was murdered February the twenty third, and it's a fact because we have it on video by two uh, white men, Gregory McMichael, a former police investigator, um, and his son Travis McMichael. So on February twenty third, we all saw the video. They jumped in a truck. Um, like a scene out of the Dukes of Hazard or the Killer Mockingbird or something, and just or 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 what's that one Mississippi uh, uh Mississippi burning Mississippi burning and just you know jump up in the truck and ride and ride them down. Um, so um, this is this, this is not no question whatsoever and it just took them so long but that's again the power of the media it took somebody obtaining that video and then thereby forcing the mainstream media corporate media to cover it and now we see an arrest you know it shouldn't it shouldn't take all that man but again this kind of also speaks to when people say politics are local you, you, you ever movie, hear that uh, did you see the movie just mercy what's the name what again just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jamie Foxx. No, I haven't seen that. So, I mean, it was it's, it's not too recent history, late 80s up into the 90s, a case in Alabama where, you know, the information or the a brother that was, I think it was an Ivy League school he was at, but he came down, he was an attorney, and he was struggling against those cases. And blatant, mis blatant uh, injustice done, over got the evidence, put it out there, and they still... The people knew they were wrong, and they still just stayed, uh, stayed fast to the wrong that they were doing in Alabama not too, too long ago. And so this is a type of atmosphere, and with this just coming out, 
and these things still occurring. Well, we know they still occur, but it's just it was just tough, man. And Scott, I'm gonna tell you, the people are really upset over this Aubrey case. People all around the country, African they should. in particular, are as, really upset about this case. As they should. This was a lynching, you know. Now let's you, you now let's talk about stand your ground because you mentioned earlier that um, the reason that the guy who shot the video. Uh, gave the video up was because he was using it as he was like, "Hey, I'm permitted by law." I wonder whatever gave him that <laughs> that ideal that we could just rag down people and make a citizen's arrest by the barrel of a shotgun or shotguns. Uh, racism, white supremacy is what would give him that ideal. The local officials would give them that ideal because one of them is former uh, law enforcement. This is like good old boy uh, town. Or, or network, you know, uh, down here in what county is this? Glenn County, um, Georgia. So what we see, what we see in, in in the video, man, it's an up and open and shut case. Now I did hear, as you mentioned, that a couple of initial investigators, and this was true in the Trayvon Martin case with George Zimmerman. A lot of people may not recall. Um, but the initial investigators who caught that case wanted to charge George Zimmerman, just as you're saying um, you read a piece about these two um, wanted to be, uh, there were police officers or investigators who wanted to charge these two, but they were overruled by this district attorney who we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But, you know, one of the things they were using to justify their action is to say that there were burglaries in the neighborhood. And now, you know, there's this video that comes out of Mr. Arbery inspecting a construction site, the construction of a new home on his jog. And there's no, he doesn't steal anything. He doesn't take anything. And then he leaves there. And then that's when I guess, you know, we get the video of him being run down like a dog and then shot as he stood his ground. Because I'm going to tell you, Brother Kwabna, what about his right to stand his ground for those who want to take the stand your ground uh, uh, argument that is usually presented by uh, conservatives? Here I am, done nothing wrong. These people chasing me, um, probably calling me the N-word as I'm, I, I then have to stop jogging and stand, then start running for my life. And then one, they stop and they get out. And I think I heard that there was a shot. One, somebody shot at him before um, they stopped the truck. And then the guy gets out the truck. And then I see somebody walking towards me. I'm going to try to grab the weapon as well. You know what I'm saying? If it's close quarters like that. A lot of people, I can, you know, perhaps Mr. Aubrey didn't have that kind of training. Not even as, as, as little as basic training you know, that the U.S. military gives for hand-to-hand -hand combat. But I look at that as him trying to stand his ground, man, and, and, and disarm his attacker. Because they were attackers the moment they got into that truck and decided to pursue him with their weapons. Oh, he is trying to save himself. He's trying to protect himself against those guys that are attacking him, of course. You have, you have to do that. I mean, I mean, just like, again, you go back to Trayvon Martin. He had to protect himself. Against Zimmerman. I mean, you have to protect yourself against these, these clowns because, you know, what if, what if he'd have kept on running? It would have just probably been shot in the back. So, no, he, 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 he uh, and the whole thing about him going to the house, I just was getting a call from my mother. I was in Vegas with her recently, 
and we're riding around. She's looking to do some remodeling. There's plenty of construction going on out there. We mm-hmm. stopped in this house that was being built and walked all through it and looked at what was going on. It was a, it was a framed up house. And I would just hate to think what would have happened as we walked back to her to her vehicle. Somebody came up and tried to stop us and shoot us. Right. You know, that happens all the time. Right. So this district attorney, Glenn County District Attorney Jackie Johnson, um, she is the one who is being accused by county commissioners. Um, you know, if it's anything like Gaston County where I live, um, you have county commissioners. I think it's about five of them. And then you have like the county board or it's called the county board and you have a chairman and what have you who, who runs the thing, the different meetings and, and what have you. But, uh, it's a couple of, it's two of them who are accusing Glenn County district attorney, Jackie Johnson of preventing, um, the, the arrest. And again, as you mentioned, she is the one who had ties or worked in the same office with the father who was a police investigator and I even read uh, Kwabana, that he had investigated uh, Mr. Aubrey and caused him to catch a case or catch a, car, a charge so evidently they knew each other yeah back when he was in school or something I heard that back when he was, when he was a teenager exactly yes. exactly so um, this is still a developing story of course, but again, it's just exposing that good old boy network, how how racism manifests itself in public office. And you have unjust uh, outcomes. And, you know, I can't straight up call this woman a, a racist, but I can certainly see from the evidence that she is not acting in a just manner. Um, she should have recused herself like the other uh, district attorney recused themselves. So it's my understanding that there's gonna, they're asking for an independent um, person to be independent, um, although there may be some conflicting information on that, Brother Kwabana. Yeah, you know, Scotty, it's, you know, with this case, when, it, when this one first came out, you know, we all saw it, and again, we're appalled. But then again, we went back to Trayvon Martin. We went back to Mike Brown. We went back to all these other cases that have been happening recently and in history of us being victims of these police of the police terror. And so, and as we look at this, as more information comes out, and I know we're going to talk about it again or later this week. But what what is making us still making us continue to be vulnerable to all this police misconduct, to all this violence that is that is being uh, perpetrated on us? We have enough violence in our community. And for this to happen to, you know, this social virus out there that we have to deal with and look at. And it it just, when will it stop? And it's not going to stop until we we make it stop. Now, we talk about how they are, the oppression that we face in this country, we don't blame ourselves. Even with the music, we don't blame ourselves for putting that oppression upon ourselves. But that's not our responsibility. We're not responsible for that. But what we are responsible for is putting an end to it and putting a stop to it. And this, this police brutality, this police terror falls under that oppressive behavior that we have to be the ones to put a stop to it. Right, right. I, I certainly. Um, and so, but what do those ways look like, though, Brother Paul? Those can become, those can come in many different forms and fashion, depending on who you uh, talk to. You know, we had the brothers that was uh, former military, and I lost my video with you. I'm trying to uh, get it back up. Okay, there we go. My bad on that. 
as I stumble around. I couldn't understand why you couldn't hear the audio from the other video and was trying to work that out. But we got you, we got you back up on, on on the screen. We've had two brothers in recent history, the brother in Dallas that killed those police officers during a march. Um, is when it when that happened. Then we had the other brother, I believe he was in Tennessee. Um, I can, bad, bad news. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Then we had um, the former Los Angeles police officer. What was his name? Christopher Dorn or Darden? Darden, I believe. You sure? Chris Darden. No, not Chris Darden. Is the prosecutor no, yeah, in the Dorn. OJ case? Yeah, Darden. Yeah, Darden. I think about OJ trial. I think it was Dorn. Something, but you know, you know the and they burnt this dude to death alive in the cabin when they finally. Uh, track them down. So, you know, these individual acts of whether you want to call it vigilante justice, whether you want to call it an uh, individual waging war and trying to spark a revolution, um, only they can speak to, you know, uh, what they're thinking or what they hope to accomplish. Um, so maybe they just want to make a statement and they made a statement. I'm willing to die. I was in the military. I was willing to die for so-called American freedoms. I got out of the military. I saw that my people weren't free, and I saw these slave catchers putting them into prison slavery and brutalizing U.S. citizens uh, on the street. So this is how I uh, choose to, you know, uh, um, fight for my freedom and the freedom of, of, of my people. So, you know... And then there's the political angle, but if you want to speak to that, though, yeah, it was uh, Christopher Doran, Doner, I think, is it Doran, something like that, or Doner was okay. his name. But you know, I, I was telling, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, because again, a lot of people are so upset about this, and I said, well, you know, you look at what happened in uh, Baton Rouge and in Dallas, but do we know, the, do we even know the names of those people? I mean, those were some serious. Acts that occurred in those in those uh, in Texas and Louisiana. I've, I've forgotten but, the names. I certainly have. Yeah, they, they, but not just the fact we forgot the names. They put their names on the back burner. They make sure that we don't remember their names to talk about their names. The, uh, the, the guy in Baton Rouge looks like his name was uh, Gavin Eugene Long. People are so upset. About right. Gavin Eugene Long. Okay. Out of Baton Rouge, and that was you know in response, I think, to the Austin Sterling, the guy who was selling the CDs. You know, shot, uh, killed him. Shot him. In yeah, the but but he, was, he didn't kill um, anyone, though. He didn't kill I, anyone. I I was talking specifically about, and they were all veterans. The one who made the attacks on the Dallas police officers um, that they ended up killing. Uh, then there was another brother, and he he was using the last name X. You know, um, and I don't know his his government name, but he was former military, and he killed some police officers. Um, no, the one in Baton Rouge killed three. It was three policemen that were killed in Baton Rouge. Okay. Okay. And then yeah. you then you had the former L.A. police officer who was also a, a former lieutenant or captain in the military before he got on with the L.A. De uh, police department, and then he wrote a whole uh, manifesto or journal about you know why he was doing what he was doing and and what he experienced there. You that know, was at, the, at the police department. Uh, Xavier Johnson was the guy in Dallas. Um, and again, Christopher Dorner was the one in, in Los Angeles. But Makai Johnson, I think that's the one they, they took the robot to go in the robot, take the robot in there to kill him, right? They used a, uh, a robot to go in there and kill him. 
So, but my central question is, so what do people mean when they say it's not going to stop until we stop it ourselves? What, what does that look like? What does that look like? Um, if we're talking nonviolence and what we're permitted to talk about openly, um, you know, being non-white people uh, and possibly subjecting ourselves uh, to the BIE label by the FBI, and, and we know about COINTELPRO and, and all of that, but um, what do we do? What does that look like for black people? It's not going to stop until we stop it ourselves. Obviously, black people joining the police force, you know, because it was black cops involved in the Reed shooting up in Annapolis yes. uh, now, mm -hmm. and they've been involved in many other shootings. So many of them have black police chiefs, so obviously us joining the police force isn't going to stop it. So, uh, so, you know, we're not stopping them. We're not stopping it. Um, so I'm, I'm just, what does it look like, man? And it keeps bringing me back to all politics is local, man. And it's a struggle on, on a local level. Does it help to have someone in the Oval Office that have, um, political policies that, and how they going to deal with, they have, you know, the federal government, the president of the United States, the CEO of USA Inc. does have a lot of power. He has a lot of power. He has the power of his own purse. And he can use carrots and sticks by way of grants and what have you, and withholding money um, to get law enforcement to put certain uh, at the county level, um, at the state level, and of course he's over the federal. So they could. There's many things that they could do to change these uh, behavior from slave catchers' behavior to, let's say, a peace officer. You know, someone who who's there to bring the peace and actually a, a public safety officer. Cause you know what we have now uh, certainly isn't working. So I, I don't know how black people can stop it themselves, or else I would think we would have stopped it ourselves already, man. I know if I could end slavery, prison slavery for everybody, cause it's more than just black people in prison slavery. But if I could end it for everybody myself, I would, man. You know, I, I would. It, it's a struggle to even recruit new abolitionists, and that's just a, a person who is willing to protest nonviolently and write letters and make phone calls in protest of prison slavery and, and you know, the treatment of the human beings in, uh, in, in these institutions. Well, Scott, it's part and parcel of this uh, wretched backwards capitalist system that, uh, you know, benefits off keeping people oppressed locking people up in this uh, in in new slavery, in these, in these prisons, and what have you. So that's why I'm saying, but the people, in terms of our people, we have to um, we have to do things like, I think one of the things we have to do as a people is start loving each other more. It's not our fault, again, that, that these police are doing this. It's not our fault that these Europeans are, uh, are attacking us. And, uh, and like I said, there's some the black people doing it too. I'm just thinking about those vigilantes in Georgia. They don't do it uh, I was talking to Erlen, uh, to a brother earlier. He's talking about they don't just do it because we're black. They do a lot of this stuff because they're white, and they have that white uh, domination, that white superior already thing in their head. But so we have to do things uh, on our end to make sure that we uh, stop putting ourselves in the line of fire. In some cases, for uh, I, I lost, I can't see my screen anymore. Hopefully, we're still there. Yes, stop we're still there in the light of fire from some of the behaviors that, that we do, but these behaviors, again, are force-fed to us to, to act in such a manner, uh, to not be unified, 
you know, to, to come together and to be organized. We have to organize, organize to put a stop to this. You know, we talked about those uh, retaliatory uh, things that took place in Los Angeles uh, area in Dallas and in Baton Rouge. And again, the system quickly, you know, put those names put those names under the rug. And we're not saying that that is the way that this is going to have to stop. But again, there's a lot of people who are upset about this continuing to happen. And when those things did happen, it didn't stop it. Mm-hmm. So, no, we are, we have we have a lot. There's a lot of things that we can do, but I think the main thing we can do as a people is organize, 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 and love ourselves. We have to love ourselves. But or, organize to do what, Brother Krabner? And so, you know, I think the answer is obvious. You know, you know, some people don't even participate in politics, but you still, those who do, you still got to be better organized. You got to be so organized that you are grooming children, identifying children, just like how they identify children in the school to prison pipeline. We got to start, uh, start identifying uh, smart or intelligent children and then training them up. Maybe establish programs to get them to run for office because they, when we talk about European institutions, which the Democratic Party certainly is, if we want to talk about power and not just symbolism in, in, in a couple of, you know, uh, uh, token positions and what have you, but the real power, you know, or whether we're talking about the Republican Party, they have, they have what's known as the young Republicans, the young Democrats, and we are not, we are not training up future leaders. We're trained, I've seen programs for future business leaders, you know, future capitalists, but I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not really seeing uh, any kind of uh, programs for where we're advocating for ourselves or advocating, yeah, or, or I wouldn't even say, li- listen, I wouldn't even say black politics, even though, you know, we are counted as a voting block. But what I'm speaking to specifically is progressive politics. Certainly, like, was found in the platform put together by non-white people and white people alike under Bernie Sanders' name. Lots of people, different people contributed to his platform, and I think there is justice to be found uh, uh, in that platform, but we're not really engaged. The people who are most impressed, oppressed, again, a lot of people are just working so many jobs trying to survive that they don't have time to even engage in that. But those of us who, who do, man, we got to organize and training up um, some young people uh, for these positions in the future. The county commissioner, you know what I'm saying? The DA, the DEA, excuse me, the district attorney, the sheriff, that's an elective office. You know, these are little small pieces of power that affect people locally every day in their lives. And and then you have your national politics. And, and I say we first got to organize a lot better locally, man. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I look at, I used to teach up with Bound and have some of the students from ninth grade up until the time, 10th grade until the time they graduate and see how they get the same test over and over again. And they, we have to send those off. And it, the, you know, the system is tracking their progress. And I would tell the students once they became seniors, yeah, they, they're tracking you. They want to, they want to know what you're doing. They want you to help continue, uh, keep the status quo going, keep their institutions running. You guys are, are some of the people they're going to be looking to for this. So you're being tracked. You're being, uh, they're organizing that method of, uh, trying to get in, trying to keep this system in. And we, you're right, we have to organize to counter that because 
it's been detrimental to us. It's been proven to be detrimental to us as a, as a masses. A few people may do well in it. I mean, like the police chief from Dallas, when Makai um, uh, was there at that time, who I guess who ordered that machine and had to kill him. He's now the police chief in Chicago. And so they organize, you know, and move around and do things locally. Yeah, they're, they're part of the police union, you know. Yeah. They're part of the same. Yeah. So in, anyway, um, a viewer named Gary says the AG of Georgia did appoint an outside prosecutor from the Atlanta suburb of Cobb County to prosecute the case. And you, I think you spoke of her earlier and saying that it was a, 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 a woman uh, who's a Republican. Yes. Okay. Well, she did. She did get him arrested, though. So I mean, she's going to deal with the case. So we'll see what happens. Okay. We most definitely. Now, Quabena, I'm running a little over, and I know you're not going to be able to hear this video, but I got to show this to um, our our peeps, man. Um, this video of this young man by the name of Finn Burrow. Um, he's not that old. Let me pull up the details on that. But I had spoken to you earlier about this case, but he was he was in the parking lot of looks like an apartment building and he starts charging at the officer and you could hear the officer in the video say, I don't want to shoot you. This happened in Montgomery County in Maryland and the video just got released. And so I'm going to play that first and then, you know, come back and, and critique it. Um, what could have been done differently. But at the end of the day, let me just say, if somebody's charging at me with a butcher knife in their hand and I have a handgun, then I'm going to shoot them. I I'm going to shoot them, okay? Um, so let me roll that video. If you could just hang tight with us, Kwabna, since at this time you can't hear it. Butcher knife down! Two out of ten, step him up. Got one with a knife refusing to, hit, to get down the ground. Get on the ground! Unit heading to the weapons call, set up priority. Get on the ground! Priority of two out of ten for each way to. Get on the ground! Go inside! Get on the ground! So that's, like I said, is a very short clip, a very short clip. But Kwabna, as I tried to describe it to you earlier, the officer comes up on him. Now, when the body cam starts, there is body cam uh, footage, by the way. Of course, obviously, as I stated earlier, they released the video. But he I don't know if there was any prior interaction toward this particular individual officer uh, pulling up uh, on into this parking lot. And let me make sure that I have the names. It starts with Sergeant David Cohen, who is a 17-year-old veteran of the department and let me just open this up because um i mentioned finnan burl is the victim's name now it appears to me that and some of the family is saying that finnan was having a mental episode um 
And so I don't know if the cop had any kind of de-escalation training that he employed prior to cutting on that video. But all he does since the start of the video was just yell at the guy while pointing a gun at him, which is very threatening. Okay. Uh, and then especially since we know the history, you know, of police shootings in this country. So that's if, if I'm, if I'm a person who's having a mental episode and external stuff is stimulating me and not calming me down and making me more agitated, you know, that's something for us to factor into this this story. How what kind of de-escalation training did this 17-year-old veteran have at any? Did he try to employ any of that before he turned on this video? And then after we uh get your comments, Quabner, I want to share uh, what the people who was working on the Sanders platform came up with that perhaps would have prevented the uh, killing of Finnan uh, Burr. Um, but let me go to Quabner. Quabner, uh, I mean, what's your thoughts in a situation Man, I, like that? I just that? watched the video as you were sharing it too and uh, showed the guy backing up and, you know, with, with the police had his, uh, with both hands on his gun and then he charged him. And Obviously, uh, some mental issues happening there, and like you said, you know, where's this de-escalation training if he's having it? And I agree with you also. I mean, what are you going to do uh, if somebody's charging you? You know, you may try to shoot him in the leg or something. I don't know, but it's uh, that's that's a tough one there, also, Scotty. But you know, this whole mental issue, mental health issue that we're dealing with in our community, and when we talked about again this, this virus, this biological and social virus that we have, a lot of things that are done to us uh, is is uh, affecting us mentally. And, and what are we doing in a lot of these cities? We're closing down the mental health hospitals. We're uh, putting the people with mental issues in jails, and we're putting them back on the streets. And this is what's uh, without properly, you know, diagnosing them and treating them properly. So it, it's wow. It's, that was that was another one that was hard to watch. Yes, yeah, very hard to watch. Um, I'm going to pull up a web page for those that's watching the video stream. But obviously, anyone can go to berniesanders.com um as i was telling quabana earlier today that um you know joe biden has not clinched the the uh, dnc nomination you have to have a certain amount of delegates just like in a general election for president um the candidate who wins the uh, uh most delegates from the electoral college goes on to be to assume the office and so it's the same thing uh, with the Democratic primary, Joe Biden doesn't have enough delegates and probably won't get enough. And you could be looking at a broker convention. But I just want to bring up the fact that here is a plan. We talk about solutions. And I mentioned politics earlier. And so a lot of people should be aware of this particular issue. Of this plank is called justice and safety for all. Justice and safety for all, and, and, and in fact, um, regular listeners of BTR News or New Abolitionist Radio would have heard me mention this over the course of the past year or so, whenever this uh, platform was put together. So with justice and safety for all, and let me pull it up actually on the big screen. So let me pull grab my keyboard right quick. I apologize because that writing is too small. And I don't have my reading glasses on me right now. Uh, so let me pull it up on um, separate screen. 
but it's called Justice and Safety for All, and it addresses in here a Prisoner's Bill of Rights. That's my my uh, favorite portion because it was adopted from prisoner demands during the uh, 2018 prison strikes. And in fact, the new abolitionist uh, movement, uh, Max Parthas, a former host of of uh, New Abolitionist Radio actually engaged with Sanders' campaign in 2016 when they came to South Carolina and enforced the issue of pre- forced them that. to address the issue of prison slavery. So I'm looking at uh, justice and safety for all. Okay, I got. I, I'm just pulling it up on the big screen right now, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to scroll down to the relevant parts. Um, just some highlights in profiteering in our criminal justice system in cash bill transform the way we police communities um ensure law enforcement accountability and robust oversight uh provide more support to police officers and create a robust non-law enforcement alternative response system so this is the uh, portion that I'm going to uh, focus on. Let me get our our those watching the video stream where I'm at. Okay, this is where I am. Provide more support to police officers and create a robust non-law enforcement alternative response system. Okay, so here are some of the bullet points. Establish national standards for use of force by police that emphasize de-escalation. Require and fund police officer training on implicit bias to include bias based on race, gender, sexual orientation, and identity, religion, ethnicity, and class, cultural competency, de-escalation, crisis intervention, adolescent adolescent development, and how to interact with people with mental and physical disabilities. We will ensure that training is conducted in a meaningful way with strict independent oversight and enforceable guidelines. Okay, next bullet point. Ban the practice of any law enforcement agency benefiting from civil asset forfeiture. You know that thing that Joe Biden created, part of that 1994 crime bill, or it could have been a part of a a separate bill, but he greatly expanded civil asset forfeiture. Um, Limit or eliminate federal criminal justice funding for, you see, this is about the carrots and the sticks, right? Let me start again. Limit or eliminate federal criminal justice funding for any state or locality, talking about the county level, right, that does not comply. So you, the, the office of the president does have a lot of power to enforce people's human rights and civil rights and to have oversight over, quote-unquote, law enforcement. Uh, let me see, next bullet point, providing... Provide This sounds like a carrot. Provide funding to states and municipalities to create a civilian core of unarmed first responders, such as social workers, EMTs, and trained mental health professionals who can handle order maintenance violations, mental health emergencies, and low-level conflicts outside the criminal justice system, freeing police officers to concentrate on the most serious crimes. Okay? Um, So, carrot and stick. A couple of more points. 
incentivize access to counseling and mental health services for officers. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, police officers are the leading occupation where people kill themselves. Give me just a second. I say that again. They have high suicide rates. Why is that? Is it because they can't live with keeping secrets and the guilt of what they see going on or being a part of this, being a cog in the machine that created the world's largest prison slave population that filled so many jails or, or did they witness a murder or see somebody kill or got pulled in as a rookie to skim money off? Why are they killing themselves? So, man, Scotty, so so much trauma, man. I was thinking about that recently in here in the Chicago area, with the amount of killings and shootings. I was like, wow, that that has to be tough on some of these policemen to constantly, all the time, see the results of these shootings, to see all these people dying and injured and parents crying, and them, like you said, and all the other stuff you talk about, having to cover up things and having to be a part of of a system that's so flawed and brutal. And it has to be, it has to have a mental effect. On them, and so many of them also come from the military, which is another story. Mm -hmm. Right. And last two, incentivize access to counseling and mental health services for officers and diversify police forces and academies and incentivize officers to live and work in the communities they serve. So, you know, I appreciate that being in there, and I know why it's in there. But we already got a diverse law enforcement group. It is predominantly white. But there's a large segment of African Americans, and a lot of them uh, be right there, like in the case of Walter Scott in South Carolina, when the white cop shot him in the back, there was the black cop to back up his story about um, uh, uh, Walter Scott grabbing my taser, and then he picks up the taser and then go drops it on Walter Scott's dead body with a black cop standing right there, and then back, black cop writes a police report backing up the white cop. We already got a divorce. Uh, you know, we already got a divorce. Diverse. I'm saying divorce, but diverse police force, skin color. People don't seem to have any more morals or aptitude to practice justice just based off of their skin color or melanin content or lack thereof. To me, logically, following the logic, it doesn't seem to have any effect of whether or not you practice justice or you practice injustice. So I do I do believe, you know, if we're talking about it from an economic perspective, then certainly I believe in affirmative action and, and, and you know, having more black males, for example, teaching black boys in the education system that's dominated by white, white females. But again, though when we're talking about people authorized to use deadly force against us out here on these streets skin color doesn't seem to determine that they're less likely to shoot you in fact there was a study that was done last year that showed that black and hispanic so we'll just say non-white cops have similar if not higher rates of shooting people of shooting black and brown people as white cops do so, for what it's worth, but but definitely, I think if we'd have had a civilian response team to come out and de-escalate this situation with, uh, um, you know, this this brother, then he might survive. He might be alive. 
today. So what what are your thoughts, Quabner? Is Joe you know, Biden? I, I, I kind of like to. Have you heard Joe Biden of, talk about it? You know what has Joe Biden uh, put forth as a policy plank in addressing these shootings? You know if we can find them. I haven't seen him. I just heard this address from the crime bill uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> so 25 years ago, however long that was. So, but yeah, man, I, it's tough, bro. I mean, living here in Gary, we just had, working with Black Lives Matter, you know, one of the things that we had was to stop all these police forces from outside of Gary coming in here, in here to police us, you know, where they had a sheriff that was leading this task force, and they were saying, let's go, in, let's go out tonight and let's have some fun. Let's arrest a lot of people and have fun. That's what it was quoted as saying at the local university one night before they were going out on their slave catching expedition. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's just so many. It's, it's, this is a multi-layered issue that we have. I think, Scotty, that we have too many police. Like you said, a lot of these policemen can be doing things, other things, right? Uh, other professions, like you talked about, uh, that don't require them. I think a lot of times they don't have nothing to do, so they, you know, look up, find stuff to do, harass and oppress people even further. I think we have too many policemen out here. We need more fathers in the home and less policemen out on the streets. Right. We don't need any more cogs in the system of prison slavery. I certainly can can agree there. Um, so I have opened up the phone lines. I will go ahead and check our conference line. That number is 704-802-5056, 704 5056. I kind of opening them up late. So I'm not going to go 50 minutes, but I don't see uh, anybody in the caller's queue right now. So, but I, next time I will open up those lines a lot earlier. So I just, you know, again, this was the um, first broadcast of us simulcasting to the radio station as well, um, providing a video stream uh, to those on YouTube and those on Black Talk Radio. Uh, network.com um, we got a lot to deal with and a lot to unpack uh, but there are solutions Salute. there are a lot of smart people with a lot of smart solutions um, you know and it's not like it takes brain it, it takes a um, rocket scientist what it takes is a will it takes organization and it takes power and so, you know, as a we do have individual groups that, as a group, have more power than others. And so, you know, we got to do whatever we need, though, to, um, you know, I guess find more power in a collective. And that collective, to me, should include anybody who wants to practice justice. Your thoughts, Kwabana, as we wrap it up? It reminds me of what Malcolm said when he was in England uh, speaking. I think that was December, or early, late that year, early the next. It was in December of 1964 when he said, "I'm willing to work with anybody who can do, uh, who's about changing these conditions right now in the system." So, and I agree with you, but we need to come together. We need to put in some more work to uh, to put a stop. You know that this whole system of policing in this in this society in this country, we know, is dangerous. It's dangerous to black people in particular, and uh, it needs to be definitely addressed. And I'm again, I'm I'm, I'm grateful to be on here with you on this first broadcast of Simon class dealing with this issue and looking forward to our, our next discussion again, which will be, I guess, deal more into the prevention uh, and, and, and uh, of some of these behaviors, some of these vulnerabilities that allow us to be victims so much of this police brutality and other social ills that are occurring in this society. 
So what's on your radar? Anything coming up? I know uh, also you're going to help me, and I appreciate you, you know, uh, hook up with uh, Brother Bob Law and bring him on for a, Bob, a broadcast. Um, uh, for those who don't know who Bob Law is, he is an elder in the black community and a legendary uh, radio broadcaster and um, also a human rights activist. Um, as well, uh, human rights activists. And so, you know, what you got coming up, Kwabana, if anything, and, and, you know, what's on your radar? Uh, yeah, looking to talk about that uh, code of behavior that we worked on with the National Black Leadership Alliance with Bob Law. Just putting that out and continuing our work with the Clear the Airways Project. And again, when you hear the soundtrack of this, uh, of this encounter that took the life of Brother Reed, uh, in Indianapolis, you'll see what we're getting at because I, I was telling some people that I think that that vile, vulgar, and horrific, hateful soundtrack during that video is really telling, and it's like one of the the things that we have um, that really shows how important it is for us to clear these airwaves of this uh, of this violent, vulgar music because it's, it's, it has such an impact. And that's that's one of the things, man, one of the main things we're still focusing on because even right now during in the midst of this shutdown and this pandemic, uh, these radio stations continue to play nothing but pornographic, violent music for our children. And it, it, the effects of it is just devastating. So we'll, we'll, I'm looking to deal with that with you and just to move forward to getting some more ideas and coming together with some people who ever have those, those ideas so we can put a stop to it. It's been a long struggle. So on Facebook, people can uh, just look up Clear the Airways Project. Clear the Airways. Is there a the in front of Clear? Or is it just it's Clear the Airways Project on Facebook, right? No duh. Just Clear the Airways. And the waves is ocean, like ocean waves with a V. Clear the Airways Project, yes. All right, all right. Well, again, we'll catch up with you later this week. And, um, you know, keep yourself safe, man, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, obviously, it goes without saying you, you know, live and work in the Chicago area. So definitely you've been protecting yourself from the pandemic of gun violence. But, low man, it, we just got so many threats on so many sides, and, and we need to keep you safe, bro. And, and I got you, brother Sky. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate the work you do with this project, man, with the uh, Black Talk Media. Okay, and we'll talk to you later this week. Peace. Okay, that was uh, again, brother Quabano of Clear the Airways Project. As we wrap this up. Again, this was our first broadcast doing uh, live video streaming as well as streaming to the station, and I'll get better. So y'all just forgive me. I'll, I'll get better because I don't have a producer. I don't have anybody working with me. And so I got a new setup and I'll get better, you know, as uh, we progress here in the future. I do so much better when I'm engineering somebody else's uh, stuff. So, but we certainly appreciate you um, sticking with us. Um, share the radio station, Black Talk Radio Network. Um, share the podcast. Share the video. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and push that little bell or, or button to get the notification. Uh, some people who follow our YouTube channel said they hadn't been getting all of the notifications. And we got six over 6,000 of you 
on YouTube. So definitely, you know, you need to uh, get with YouTube and these other platforms on why you're not getting notifications. All right. With that said, you know, COVID-19 is a real disease. Um, all you have to do is some simple things to try to survive it until the virus runs its course. And that's don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. Don't, you know, uh, go put picking eye boogers out your eye. Or it's definitely don't be picking your nose or putting your hands and fingers in your mouth. You're not a baby. You're a full-grown adult. And, you know, wash your hands, especially if you go outside the house. Let's say you go to work or you go to the store um, to pump some gas and you're touching these things outside. Again, use some sanitizer or just some regular soap and water. And vigorously for 30 seconds, you know, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Again. So these are very simple things, and if you're going to go out in public, the CDC does recommend a face mask. Hey, you don't need a surgical mask. You don't need um, one of these fancy masks. You can cut a piece of cloth and make yourself a mask that you can just tie around, um, you know, that covers your nose and your mouth and your neck. Because um, I made myself a couple of masks uh, model after some videos that the uh, U.S. Army put out for turning making masks out of T-shirts that they're requiring uh, for some soldiers to use in addition to social distancing. Because uh, it has impacted the U.S. military as well. This is not a hoax. This is not a drill. Um, you know, we are definitely in the middle of a pandemic, and we want to see you all come through it. All right, with that said, um, again, subscribe, and then you'll know when we have an upcoming broadcast. Peace and blessings to all. Stay safe behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc.